As far as being more rugged, it's uh, it's kind of relative. I mean, uh, one you know, one rugged dad might be somebody that uh, sleeps outside all the time, is always carrying around an axe. I, I got one right behind me. Um, and, you know, I, I carry that one when I walk to the mailbox. Dogs, you know, coyotes, whatever. You want to be ready. But uh, for some dads, being rugged just no, it means knowing how to change a flat tire and not embarrass yourself in front of your kids. Welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast. This is the show that focuses on climbing the mountain of fatherhood together. We believe that dads matter. That's why this show is for you. So gear up, dads. Get ready. It's time to start climbing. Hello and welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast. My name is George. I'm joined with the entire crew tonight, Brandon, Dustin, and Justin. And our guest tonight is Dr. David Powers. David, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. How are you, man? I'm doing pretty good. Awesome. So Dave has a very interesting background. Uh, he is a father of five children. I'm sure we're going to get into that. But uh, Dave, we're real excited to uh, kind of hear your your background and then talk about what the work you're doing now and uh, kind of a lot of your published works and everything. So there's, we can go all over the map, fatherhood and professionalism and things like that. So uh, let's start out with uh, Dave. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Give a little bit of your background, um, military background, and then again with your counseling and things like that, and uh, we'll just go from there. So, okay. Dave, take it away. Um, my name is Dave. I'm a dad of five. I've been married 22 years, and uh, long enough to know that I'm, uh, you know, definitely not the best at it, and trying to get better every day. And uh, so four kids still in the house. One of them turned 18 and moved out, and uh, we didn't kick him out, but he just moved out. And um, I joined the Marine Corps at 17, and um, basically from 17 on, I've been uh, in jobs where people tried to shoot at me. I know, I know you understand that, and uh, but it keeps life exciting. And the weird thing is, though, I worked as a civilian paramedic for a while and got shot at more there than in the Marines. Um, I guess that says a lot about where I worked. But uh, Marine Corps, I uh, went in the Army after that and uh, got out of the Army right before 9-11 happened. And so I was doing an emergency preparedness job at the time when 9-11 happened. And so they rolled us into Homeland Security and I helped start that up in uh, the, the Department of Homeland Security, which is really cool. And uh, back before all the bureaucracy kind of drowned it, it was a really fun, fast, nimble place to work. And so I did that for a while. And now I am I'm mostly past all the adrenaline jobs, mostly because I still crave it. And I'll get back into it with my kids, the adrenaline stuff. But um, now I just help dads and I help dads to be more rugged and I help dads to be prepared uh, for everyday emergencies, disasters, whatever happens. I dig it, man. Yeah, that's uh, that's something that probably we need. I'm speaking for the four of us here, probably need a little bit of a wake up call ourselves is, uh, you know, having just prepping for things like that. And a lot of it is you don't really I think in our day to day lives, you live in a comfortable town, suburb, whatever. You don't really have to like think about that very often. So. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely excited to get into that later in the episode. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you transitioned from all the military stuff and getting shot at as, you know, EMS and, th and things like that going into uh, your work in counseling? Well, that's actually, it was kind of fun and, and not fun at the same time. I mean, I loved EMS. Um, in the Army, I was a medic. And so it was an easy transition from there to civilian paramedicine. And uh, so I went into that and... Kind of, kind of had a nervous breakdown. Not, not, not like hospitalized therapy, all that, but I just had enough. 
Um, I had a good friend uh, die on a fire scene and I was just done with it um, to the point where I wanted to do more than just work on an ambulance. And so I went back to school, uh, got my bachelor's degree, decided, you know what, I, I want to do something. I knew God was pushing me towards something and, and something bigger, something better. And I wanted to do something where I could help more people. And so I went into counseling. I got my graduate degree, a master's, and then a doctorate in counseling uh, through seminary. So it was Christian counseling. And that way, I kind of figured it was my goal at that point to help more paramedics, firefighters, law enforcement stay on the job after bad things happen. And and I've seen that you've published a lot of different works, right? And I, is it most of it yeah. around PTSD or you know other kind of stressors and things like that? Or have you kind of branched out in other areas as well? I've branched out into everything. I've always been a writer and uh, a bit of a therapy thing for me. I've always journaled, always written. And so I've written some books in the therapy side of things, uh, a few theological books, a few travel books. I mean, basically everything I do, I turn it into a book. And I figure if, if I enjoy doing it, somebody ought to enjoy reading it. I like that. I like that. Um, so why don't we get in then to the meat and potatoes of, of what it is you're bringing to the table here. And that's, uh, you know, be a rugged dad, right? All the things you're doing there. So why don't you tell us just at a high level, um, you know, a little bit about how you got started and, and what your objective is and, and, uh, maybe walk us through some of your core content that, you know, dads need to know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, as far as being more rugged, it's, uh, it's kind of relative, I mean, uh, one, you know, one rugged dad might be somebody that uh, sleeps outside all the time, is always carrying around an axe. I, I got one right behind me. Um, and, you know, I, I carry that one when I walk to the mailbox. Dogs, you know, coyotes, whatever. You want to be ready. But uh, for some dads, being rugged just no, it means knowing how to change a flat tire and not embarrass yourself in front of your kids. And so that's where I come from. I don't want to come at it from the point where, you know, uh, every man kind of dad is going to look at me and say, no, that dude's too far out there. Uh, I can't work with him. I can't learn anything from him because he's like Bear Grylls. I'm the guy that's closer to this normal guy. You know, I want to be the one that's encouraging him to be the hero for his kids, whether that's being Bear Grylls or just handling a flat tire emergency on the side of the road. I mean, that's it's just completely relative to the person. But I just want to encourage every dad to be a little more rugged so that the sons can look up to them and their daughters want to marry somebody like them. Right. Yeah, that's huge. Um, so do you kind of, so you basically create like a, a coaching plan specific to your, your different clients or like, how does that work? Yeah, I kind of meet them where they are and then go beyond that. Um, like for instance, uh, I get some dads like uh, they want to get back in shape. I mean, I'm 48 and uh, you know, you hit this age and the testosterone starts dropping naturally and, and, all the crap and the food and everything. And so some dads I'm meeting at my age, just trying to help them get a little bit of that pizzazz back so that they can go out and play ball in the front yard with the kids. Because, you know, there's a lot of dads my age that, I don't know, it's hard to get them off the couch. It's hard to get them away from the TV. They get home from work. All they want to do is just sit down and go to bed or just, you know, veg out or eat snacks all night. And I want to, to encourage dads to just be the dad that comes home, switches into a pair of tennis shoes, runs back out into the front yard to throw a football or whatever. That's what I want to do. Just encourage dads to be bigger, better, faster. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the name of our podcast, right? The present father being present is you know, no matter how, no matter how tired you are or how worn out you are or stressed out with whatever is kind of carving out that time uh, with your kids and, and being engaged. So 
um, yeah, that's awesome that you're taking such an active role in that. So, um, yeah, guys, why don't we just kind of open it up and, uh, I guess l let me start with the first question and then we'll, we'll go around into discussion, but, uh, off the top, Dave, what is, if you had only one piece of advice to give dads, you know, what would that be from, from Dr. David Powers? It would be to do something challenging every day. Anything. I mean, it can it be small increments too. That little one percent every day, and by the end of the year, you're going to be a rugged dad. I dig it. So, have, have you read James Clear's Atomic Habits? Then, oh man, I love that book because I'm okay, a little yeah. similar to OCD anyway. And that book, it's my love language. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I like that. Um, you know, challenge yourself a little bit. We've been really honing in on that concept the last uh, couple months, I think, here on the podcast. But all right, guys, uh, what you got for Dave? Whoever wants to be up next. I'll jump in. Yeah. So Dave, if you had a client, um, would you teach them specifics? Like if I didn't know how to uh, whittle uh, wood or, or start a fire or pitch a tent, would you get into those like specifics? Like here's how you do it? Or is it more big concept based? Like let's learn together and then you can learn how to do it yourself. I kind of get a little bit of both, but uh, not on purpose. Uh, what I try to do is focus more on the small things. Like, I mean, the fact that you guys are here says a lot about you and you're probably like, you might not even be my ideal client because the weird thing is I get a lot of dads that would be embarrassed to go to another dad and ask for like, like how do I pitch a tent or start a fire? You know, they'd be a little embarrassed that they don't know how to do it. And so I try to like a lot of the information I put out there is just the basics. Like here's how to put together a home first aid kit or or here's something. I mean, uh, how, how many of you guys in the group here have a two-story house that you live in? All right. So, yeah, the majority. I mean, I've got a, a two-story house with a basement. And you'd be surprised how many dads in a multi-level house, no fire plan whatsoever. You know, so if so, if something happens, how's your, how are your kids going to get out? They're going to be jumping out of windows or are they going to be, you know, Running out of the house, there's a rally point somewhere in the front yard for all the kids to go to. I mean, simple things like that is what I like to go for. I don't, I don't have a fire plan, so I need to do that. <laughs> I got one. Thank God. <laughs> we actually uh, we practice ours every now and then, and we've got a low enough roof where the kids' windows come out on the front porch roof. And so we actually had the kids come out on the roof and jump off the roof. I mean, me and my wife were sitting there catching kids. And uh, then they wanted to do it again. So we did it again. <laughs> a lot you know, of fun. My, my yeah, son would and, love this. This sounds like a really fun, like, hey, there's a fire. We got to practice. Like, he, that'd be like a fun thing to do. And it's also beneficial, obviously, in case there's a fire. So this is. Yeah. And I was about, oh, yeah. Games. I was about yeah. to, like, specify that, too. Like, you can you can accomplish these things without being, like, neurotic. Like, oh, my gosh, if there's, if there's a bad thing happened, you're going to freak your whole family out. You're helping them <laughs> at that point. You can do it in a way that's. You know, you're the calm protector. You're going to just outline, hey, guys, if this happens, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to go here. You're going to go there. And like, yeah, Dustin, I'm sure like the, the, you know, young boys, especially be like, yeah, I get to jump off the roof. Sweet. Let's do it. You know, um, but not to be neurotic about those types of things or neurotic about those types of things. Good grief. Um, Brandon, over to you, man. Yeah. So um, being a rugged dad and being a Christian man, I want to know just for you personally, how does theology play into your, your teachings of being a rugged man? Well, I mean, quite a bit. I mean, the basis of everything. I mean, being a, a longtime Christian and, and raising my family to be Christ followers, um, theology is the foundation of everything. And so kind of being a rugged dad, also a large service component, like uh, 
if you know how to change your own flat tire, you should also be the dad that's willing to stop and help somebody else change one on the side of the road. I mean, and not to mention, I mean, if you help somebody change a flat tire in the rain, all that kind of, what an excellent opportunity to witness to them. Because you got a good half an hour there to just say, hey, where'd you go to church? Absolutely. That's great. And you're a big proponent of homeschooling, right? So I, I think, at least in my little bubble of the world, I've seen a lot more people more inclined to homeschool now. I think, uh, you know, COVID, whatever you feel about that is almost irrelevant, but more people are homeschooling now. A lot of people too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it either forced them or made them maybe think that's that's better for their kids. So, um, you know, Dave, why don't you talk to us about how you homeschool your kids? Um, and then maybe some advice regarding maybe people who are teetering on should I do it or not, or how do I even get started? Um, I think that that's a topic we actually haven't really covered very much, so that might be interesting. Oh, it's a topic I love. I mean, uh, my, me and my wife, we decided before we had kids, we're going to homeschool. And it was back before homeschooling was really popular, so 18 years ago. And uh, we love it. I mean, like today, today's Tuesday. Every Tuesday for us is homeschool adventure day. So it's a field trip. And uh, it's getting warmer here, and we're surrounded by lakes. So pretty much every Tuesday for the next three months is going to be at the lake. And uh, we'll be swimming, kayaking, jumping off the rocks, swinging out of the trees, all the fun stuff you do at the lake. And uh, the great thing for me about homeschool is, and this is why I would mention it to a lot of parents, it's for some people it's religious freedom. And all these play a part in mine, but mine is mostly about just general freedom, freedom to teach whatever. Uh, so you got religious freedom. It's it's uh, safer. You don't have to worry about school shootings. It's definitely cheaper because for a lot of people, the alternative for most people might be private school or Christian school because they don't want their kids in a public school. Homeschooling is actually pretty inexpensive. But uh, for the most important thing for me is the freedom to teach to the interest of our child. Uh, we've got five kids. Um, like, for instance, my little girl, she is 10 and she's wanting to be a dog trainer. And so We've got a field trip coming up. We don't have any dogs and she's going to be a dog trainer. So we're going to go check out the Humane Society and, and probably get a dog. And um, I applied for a veteran service dog as well. And so, you know, she's going to have ample opportunity to help train dogs at the house. And we've got her watching TV shows about dog training. I mean, and we can spend math, science, language arts, everything around dog training. And she'll learn the basics. And you know what? If she gets interested in something else like horses or whatever later on, She's still learning the basics. She's still learning the important foundational school stuff, but we can spin that with her interest and she enjoys it a lot more. And when you got started, did you like go, did you seek, I don't know, guidance on like, here's a template for how to kind of do it? Or did you just kind of, you know, do it yourself and kind of supervise and refine as you went through the process? Like how, how, how do you recommend we, parents even get started with it? Oh yeah, we have, uh, we've done it wrong um, at least two or three times a year. <laughs> And by that, I mean, we experiment a lot. Uh, when we first started, we just bought this kit that came with all these booklets and they were all black and white and, uh, you know, really goofy illustrations and, and not very well done. And the kids hated it. The kids hated it. We hated it as parents and teachers. And uh, so we quickly went from that. And to be honest, what we do is we go to a homeschool conference every year and we'll find neat new curriculum. We'll let the kids help pick out the curriculum. And it's a lot more fun that way. But one thing I do tell people, if you're thinking about homeschooling and you've never done it, no worries. I mean, you just experiment. You're not going to screw your kids up any more than the public school system is. And so just enjoy it. I mean, you're going to enjoy more time with your kids and have a lot more time to spend with them and learning things with them, too. 
uh, one of my kids is learning sign language for his foreign language component. And I haven't, he's teaching me and I'm horrible. I know a few cuss words and uh, in sign language and uh, the rest of it, you know, he's teaching me some of the real stuff. I know like, one. I, I can think of one. Yeah. <laughs> the singular gesture. There, there's one that's very similar to thank you. And so sometimes the kids will say the wrong one out in public. That's funny. Uh, Dustin, I think you had a question. So, Dave, I don't know anything about homeschooling. Are there specific exams they have to pass at the end of the year? Is there a standard that, you know, ensures that parents are actually teaching when, they, when they're homeschooled? Yeah, um, the easy answer to that is, yes, there are standards, uh, 50 of them, in fact. Oh, every okay. state, yeah. every state, different standard. Um, I'm in South Carolina, and so it's one of the easiest homeschool states in the United States. Um, basically, we don't have to take any tests. Uh, we don't have to prove anything. Um, I do the transcripts when they graduate. And uh, all we have to prove is in the middle of the school year, I have to send in a document with uh, list all the kids and how many days of education they had, which you know is supposed to be 180 for the year. And that's it. End of the year, I send the same document back with the number of days they were educated for the school year. And that is it. So really easy. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So um, I actually kind of like a two-parter. So uh, as far as like, what would you consider one, a rugged man? And like, what does that foretell? And two, um, I would, I would ask what five skill sets would you say, would you say are probably absolutely necessary for children to learn? Okay. Um, the uh, first one for the rugged man, um, I would say a rugged man is somebody that is willing to rise to a challenge. Um, Cause you know, I look kind of rugged and, you know, I realize when I'm walking down the street and people yeah. cross the other side, especially when I'm carrying my baseball bat or something. You got to take Lucille for a walk, man. <laughs> got to let her breathe a little. But, uh, you, you, have, you have to show it, though, because most people may not know what that is. This is my baby girl right here. Baseball bat covered in barbed wire. It's a reference to The Walking Dead. I love it. Sorry, I threw you off. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, yeah, so I realized that, uh, yeah, I want to point out, I guess, to everybody that a rugged man doesn't have to look like me, doesn't have to to look mean or, or big and have a beard and everything. I mean, there are guys that work in, in IT. Or, any of you guys work in IT? Might be a bad example. Um, but, I mean, there are guys that work office jobs that have to wear, have to be clean shaven, have to wear a, a suit and tie, a certain tie, whatever. You don't have to look a certain way to be rugged. It's how you act. I mean, just being willing to rise to a challenge, that's a rugged man right there. And uh, let's see, so five skill sets for school. So I've got a theory that I use for my homeschool. I call it functional education. And so let me see if I can remember it right. We've got, because we just actually redid some of our core concepts for what we want the kids to learn. Uh, one of the main ones is critical thinking. Uh, critical thinking is important because we're teaching our kids a certain way. And I mean, if they change their minds some when they get out, I don't want them to abandon Christ, abandon religion. But, you know, if they go to a different denomination or something when they leave the house, if they've thought it through, that's all I care about. I want them to be able to think clearly. I, I don't want them going to college and having every other professor convince them of a different viewpoint that's not something they were raised with and not something they truly believe. Um, so critical thinking, definitely one of them. Um, research. 
we don't do a lot of the teaching that the public schools do as far as drilling into them, historical dates, facts and figures. Um, we actually stop our math classes earlier than public school does. So we don't go all the way to trigonometry, calculus, things like that, unless they're interested in it. If they're interested in it, that's fine. We'll keep going. But for what most of my kids are wanting to do in life in college, they're not going to need it, uh, not past high school anyway. And so being able to research something, look something up, that's another core skill for me, um, whether it's on the Internet, a book. I mean, my kids will ask me how to spell something sometimes. And and the way I tell them how to spell a word is D-I-C-T-I-O-N-A-R-Y. That's that's how you spell something. Go find it and look it up. Yeah, I don't let them use phones to look things up like that because they need to know how to research something in actual paper things, you know, like the good old days. Uh, that's two. Um, one of the other things we wanted to focus on, actually this came into play a couple of days ago, is um, being able to take care of yourself. Uh, and I'm talking uh, everything from hygiene to self-defense. Um, I'm not, they won't be black belts by the time they get out of high school for me, but they'll know enough to, to get them hurt in a bar fight. That's what they used to tell us in the Marines anyway. Just we'll teach you how to fight well enough to get hurt in a bar fight. And so, I mean, just two days ago, my little girl was out feeding the rabbits and uh, some of the, one of the neighbor's dogs got loose and was trying to bite her. And I guess I waited longer than I should have to go out and rescue her because I wanted to see how she would handle herself. It wasn't a huge pit bull or anything like that. It's just a little, little yappy dog that's just going to nip at you. And so I was watching her and she freaked out. And so I realized, you know, I've not done enough because at 10 years old, she should especially if she's wanting to be a dog trainer, you know, she should be able to show some dominance over a small dog. And so being able to take care of yourself, that's another key component. Um, I'm getting off track. How many done a name? Three. And uh, three, Uh, another one, language arts. I want them to be, know how to write and speak well. And they don't have to be motivational speakers. They don't have to be perfect. But one of the things we make our kids do to graduate high school is to publish a book. Uh, my 18-year-old's book, he wrote a book about salads, uh, The Kid's Guide to Salads. And uh, he wrote it. Um, I helped him edit it. I helped him put it together. It's for sale on Amazon. And he wrote that when he was 15 years old. And then the last one, the last component is uh, religion, spirituality. We, uh, we make them read all the way through the Bible before they graduate. Uh, right now, I think we just started doing this. We're making them write through the Bible. So they won't write out the whole Bible before they graduate. But what we're doing every day for their devotional, um, if they do more, I mean, we're definitely more than happy for that. But for school, they have to sit and write three verses, and they're all starting in Genesis. They write three verses, and they have to draw a picture related to those verses. And so that's a daily thing, but they're going to finish that Bible, read it all the way through before they graduate. Yeah, I like, so, oh, so I was going to say, I just like the, uh, I said self-reliance, because that's kind of, a catch-all, I think, for what you were talking there, and I yeah, think no, that that's works. Something that's something that's in uh, it's a huge gap in even in our generation. I feel like a lot of my peers, you know, uh, just growing up and stuff, were a lot less self-reliant. Not that I was amazing or whatever, but my my parents pushed me to be self-reliant, and I was the oldest. Maybe that played into it, but um, I just look at you know younger men or even you know teenage boys and self-reliance just seems to be a lost art nowadays uh, and that's really concerning so I, it's good to hear that that's a, a core you know recommendation from you um justin i think you had something too so go ahead and 
China. Yeah, and, yeah. So you made an interesting point. You said, and this was actually before the podcast earlier. You said you like to let your kids uh, learn dangerously. Um, yeah. And I asked you the question, and, and I was curious what your answer would be, just because it, it tells me a lot about how you think and you know what you you provide for your kids. But honestly, if you stop and think about like a rugged man, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said there's no specific look or anything like that. I know, you know, Hollywood wants us to think it's this chiseled jawline, this big beard or whatever, maybe Vikings, who cares? Long story short, I think, I think it's, it's more than that. I think it, it's like you said, it's rising to a challenge, but I think it's meeting failure, learning failure and becoming best friends with it. I think it's, I think the most rugged men in the world, if you look at them, and I'm not going to name examples because I guarantee you the guys on this podcast will know five of the 10 I choose. David Coggins. Um, he's one of them, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but you got you to gotta remember, like, the, the, the men that you want by your side in battle, the, the ones that you want on your side in life or um, in, in a number of different aspects, I think is the ones who have beaten their demons or beaten their struggles or who have faced a real hard life or hardships and learned from them because those are the men who knew how to stop, think, adapt, and and move forward uh, with a solid plan or or trying to, you know, maneuver in a way that allows them to change, you know, their reality or their, their situation. So uh, I thought that was a great answer, you know, rise to the challenge. I think that's something that not enough people have in their lives right now is challenges. We really don't. Um, we live in the most cush, easiest societal uh, time that has ever existed. Um, people are absolutely spoiled. They're absolutely rotten. Uh, and it's, and it's we're like miserable a, for it. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, yeah. Something I absolutely want to keep my child from, but I think, I think George said something earlier in the week that really struck home with my thought process. The pendulum swinging. And I think, I think it's starting to rear back to one tough times are creating resistance, you know, guys like us, um, women are speaking out against things like feminism and, and other things that are, are toxic to, you know, masculinity and to our culture and to other things. And it's, it's so, so crazy that like people are starting to get a voice. People are starting to wake up. And so I, I would say for me personally, if I teach my son, one thing, it's, it's to stand up for what's right. One, but two, make sure that you have a voice, stand up for what you believe in. Cause I just, I don't feel like men today do that enough. I think, you know, we've all gone so soft and we're all guilty of something in that aspect. But yeah, no, I, I appreciate what you said, man. So I just want to bring that point up. Yeah. yeah. And just, Wait, I mean, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, since I brought up from The Walking Dead and David Goggins, I, I did a video one time. I compared the amount of cuss words in, in Goggins' book and Negan in the comic book, and, and they're about equal. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what? So it's Negan. Negan, Negan, as much as people hate him, you need dangerous men for like him during dangerous times. They organize the yeah. chaos. They're the ones who take that leadership role and, and wear it no matter what it costs them. And unfortunately oh, yeah. for, for Negan, it cost him his morality and he went down a dark path. But at the end of the day, he he learned and, and like I said, adapted. Um, and if you look at Negan's story, I mean, I'm not going to say any spoilers if you haven't seen The Walking Dead, but... <laughs> He has a very crazy character arc. I'll put it that way, and we'll just leave it there. But it was, it was, he was my favorite because he's kind of a narcissist, but like he's very confident in who he is because he's been through a lot and he knows how to 
overcome things or use violence or be dangerous in ways that he needs to be. So, yeah, no, that's that's pretty cool. And let's say, I'll say this, David Goggins, he's a tough son of a bee, man. He he really oh, is. Yeah. He's a real life, like, Superman. He The guy is, yeah. he's insane, man. He just doesn't stop. Stay hard. <laughs> that's right. Stay hard. <laughs> so, be rugged. Yeah. yeah. And, well, I think it, it comes... <laughs> It comes under the responsibility of honing in the power that you have. I mean, look at Christ. I mean, he could have struck down anybody and he could have done anything. Instead, he gave grace and he gave love. But yet he was authoritative and he's like the perfect masculine man. So there's there's great examples of ruggedness, not only in the Bible, like Daniel and David and all these other guys, but in Samson and all that. But, you know. In real world, you know, our, our world now, uh, there's plenty of guys. And I, I think being dangerous, but having that responsibility, that control, that lowness of control there, that's such an important part of being a properly rugged man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's funny. I mean, we all think of Jesus as this loving, you know, kind of cuddly guy, but he was also a warrior, you know, and so that is important to remember that that side of him. Um, so, David, a couple of things you mentioned about your teaching that I, I really like. One is that whenever I hear kids talk about school, it's all about the test. I have to get ready for the test. I have to get, you know, I have to bubble my uh, my answers in and get everything right and all that. And it sounds like that's not really a component of the teaching you're doing for your children. And it sounds like what they're learning is a lot more beneficial. They're learning by doing versus learning um, you know, how to, how to pass a test. Um, so I really, oh, yeah. that that seems to be key. Absolutely. I mean, my kids are gonna have to take tests at some point. I mean, my 15 year old, he's, uh, he plays football for the public school. Uh, South Carolina has a law where homeschool kids can play public school sports and to get scholarships. I mean, he's gonna have to take the SAT, but the thing is we're training them to think. And so he can, we can learn a few tactics and he can think his way through an SAT. He doesn't have to learn to the test. So it makes life a lot more fun that way. Yeah, exactly. And so speaking of fun, I mean, it, it sounds like that's amazing. You're not forcing your kids to learn trigonometry because, I, I mean, I work with math every day in anesthesia, but I don't really use calculus. So I can honestly say that it was purely a hoop I had to jump through. I haven't used calculus since I was 18 years old. And so yeah. it was that's boring. Interesting. I mean, I enjoyed it. It was kind of it was kind of cool, but it you know, it's not something I ever use. And so, Never you know, if your it. daughter... Yeah, exactly. So if your daughter, you know, wants to be a, um, a dog trainer and she never learns calculus, I think that's more time. That's six months she can spend learning more about honing her craft instead of wasting it, yeah. jumping through some hoop. And so that's the beauty of what you're able to do is you can tailor it to your kids instead of this Prussian militaristic system where we are in third grade now, we are in fourth grade now. You know, it's, it's this weird <laughs> system where we have to pass the yeah. test and move on to the next. Yeah. So I, I've got a question for you, Dave. Um, we, we had a guest before uh, talk about how, you know, rites of passage, both with boys and with girls are, are very important, oh, especially role as the father and, and, and with the mother too, uh, not just dads. But how, do you weave that into your curriculum? I, I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah, you know, how, how do oh, you yeah. go about doing that? Because I'd love to hear your perspective on that as well. Um, rites of passage. Um, We've got, uh, me and my wife have sat down and, and we have a formal uh, list of things the kids have to do before they turn 13. And uh, for the boys right now, because I've put two boys through a rite of passage already, uh, they've got a list of books they have to read and uh, like Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, books like that. And uh, some other really good books uh, about manhood, but also Christian manhood. And so they have to read that. And at 13, uh, we do a formal rite of passage and that's mainly because the way I see it is 
at 13, if they're not, if they don't have their head screwed on right, they're capable of making children. And I want to have them, you know, physiologically, if they're capable of making children, they need to start making some adult choices in other places too. And so we actually do a formal rite of passage. I bring together all the men that are in my life, all the men that have spoken into my son's life. And we do a big kind of a party and uh, all the men bring some kind of a gift and uh, they, they present the gift and they present a challenge to my son. We do a, we do a PT test. Basically we do, a, they do a one and a half mile run, push-ups, sit-ups, all that stuff. Um, we had one of the rite of passages where we actually did some sparring and, and just man stuff, pure man stuff, no women present, uh, no boys present that aren't already 13 or older. And so it's a, it a lot of fun. And, uh, like I say, my two older boys, they've gotten gifts. Um, like my dad, my dad was a Vietnam vet. And so he actually took one of the flares that he had, he was in artillery. So he had one of those big flare parachutes and he wrote the challenge to my 15 year old. Uh, he's 15 now, but he wrote the challenge on that silk parachute and presented that to him. And uh, another guy gave him a, um, a statue of a knight with a, a little you know, plaque about chivalry and things like that. A lot of fun, but we are big on rites of passage. I, I really like how you involved the other men in their lives too, not just you. Yeah. Uh, one of our other guests um, is really big on rites of passage as well. And we talked about that. I think that's something um, that I know I didn't have. I had a single mom and, you know, it was like, I learned how to drive a car. You know, I drank my first beer. I kissed my first girl. That kind of, like, But those aren't really rites of passage, right? That's what I thought yeah. they were. But looking but that's later, what the world tells us. Yeah, that's all I was told. Exactly. So I'm yeah. uh, I'm a little jealous of your son. I'm not going to lie. I mean, this sounds like an amazing opportunity yeah. <laughs> you know, to learn. And something else the world tells us is um, they tell us, you know, when you've had sex, you're a man. And I don't want my boys thinking that. I want my boys thinking that that's something that happens when you get married. That's not something that makes you a man. That's, that's nothing more than a physiological thing that uh, you shouldn't even be thinking about. Yeah, it's a it's a gift from God that strengthens marriage. It is part of the marriage design that God intended between a man and a woman, and and it's so flippantly perverted. And of course, that's what that's what Satan does. Anything he gets a hold of, he he perverts it. And and our world yeah. has just gotten extremely bad at that um, over the past few decades. Um, but yeah, uh, so I do have um, one question. So the other side of the coin um, for for a lot of men is they grew up without dads or um, they were troubled youth or something like that. So what is your process uh, as a counselor uh, to help these men become rugged and better fathers? Like if say they're new fathers and they've had that troubled past, do you go into healing process first? Or like, what's what's the process there? So maybe dads can do it for themselves. Yeah, well, it came up earlier about uh, making mistakes and failures and uh, failure being your friend that came up earlier. And, and for dads like that, that's one of the, the biggest things is admitting failure, admitting defeat, and then coming back from that. Um, that's going to help a kid. I mean, instead of a kid just seeing like, okay, my dad disappeared for years, few years, or he was just, he lived with us, but he was absent mentally. Um, and then he comes back. Dads can't come rushing back in like that. But it helps if they're willing to admit, you know, I screwed up. I've not done the right thing. Uh, I'm going to work hard to be better and be a part of this again. And if, if I can come in and help somebody with that and uh, even help walk them through it, or uh, I wrote a book about rites of passage to help parents do this. And one of the things I was thinking about is what about the single mom who's raising boys? Um, I, I would love to be the dad or 
maybe help a pastor be able to do this, to be able to step in and, and give those boys a rite of passage that the single mom, I mean, that's just something that as, as awesome as a single mom can be raising sons, there are certain things that she can never replace and that God didn't intend for her to replace. And I think, honestly, you just brought up something very, very cool. And it made me think. So moms, single moms who are raising boys, they need guidance. They need men. They need people who can step in and teach those kids. You know, it is okay to fail. You want to fail. You want to learn through things like that. Because that's that's not something women tend to, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but they tend to coddle children because they're meant to love children. They're meant to look after children in a different way than men. We're, we're the ones that are like, hey, little Timmy, there's the water. Have fun. Learn to swim. Yeah. Oh, you, you don't want to? Push. You're learning now. <laughs> you know, you're gonna learn hey, today. <laughs> you're going to learn today. But like women are like, oh, my God, Timmy, get out of the water. Get out of the water. And it's like, no, let him learn. He's okay. He can stand up. Like, you know, you've got yeah. to face things. Like that's, that's men have, and, and I don't mean this, there's courageous women, but men tend to have more courage and they have, they tend to be, I guess, ballsier. I, I don't know any other way to say it. Um, yeah. And I'm sorry if that's offensive to say it that way, but um, men just, they, they do things differently. And I, I think that's something that is missing for a lot of children. And I, and I've said this time and time again, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm losing my voice. Um, I think it's what's wrong with our society. There's not enough father figures. There's not enough men out there who are willing to step in and say, hey, look, you need a helping hand. This is what I can provide. This is what I can do to help out. Your kids are going to be fine. You know, here's a little masculine energy to like help those kids navigate what they're questioning or what they don't understand, because that's the problem. Moms aren't always going to have answers. And I think that's the problem. Society's like, oh, women are just as strong as men. They have all the answers. No, you don't. And men don't have all the answers that mothers can give. And I think that's the the disconnect that we have. And then to go back to what Brandon said, you know, we're talking about like when they get to of age and they can have sex. Like that's it's it's crazy what society is teaching children. And a man, a good man can step in and say, look, this isn't right. You know, that's not how you treat a woman. Let me show you how you treat a woman. And they do that through daily actions. And I think that's yeah. a problem is these single households are not seeing loving relationships they're seeing brokenness and broken relationships they're seeing women who can't seem to stay with a good man because these men are just not there for the, the kids they're not there for the wife or vice versa i mean the woman may not have good traits and she's just not keeping good men but it's it comes down i think to and it boils down to the fact that like men are needed and society it's our job as men to step up and i don't think enough men are stepping up and i don't think yeah there's enough guidelines. So what you said, it made me think we need to create our own little guide for women. And I, I think yeah. that's something that needs to be done. I think, you know, between your book writing and our podcast, I think it'd be nice to, to see something like that set up and put up on our site and your site and figure something yeah, out. Yeah. The single mom's guide to raising boys. Yeah. yeah that's, I mean, yeah, that's a lot of essential. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that are Even the mom's going to have questions about like, what do I do? How do I deal with this situation? You know, it's like, like, well, well, I mean, I, I think about raising my girl and, and the fact that I've got a wife to help me with this, but there are certain things my girl's going to go through when she hits her teenage years that would terrify me if my wife was not here. I mean, and so raising boys, I mean, you know, another ep epidemic that's kind of very similar is grandparents raising their kids. I mean, because even though there's a man in the house, that's a role that 
I mean, I'm convinced that God created grandparents to spoil the kids. It's to take some of the uh, the ruggedness off of the, you know, the parents have rules, the parents have standards and all this, and they go to the grandparents' house and they can eat candy and soft drinks and watch cartoons. Grandparents weren't meant to have to be the disciplinarians and raising them and teaching them the ABCs and all that kind of stuff. But so many grandparents are raising the kids because the parents have given up. Yeah, I just want to say, Scott, Valley, if you're watching this, that ain't going to fly. Don't do that. Dad, mom, no, no, no. <laughs> That's right. Well, and a lot of this comes down to how our brains are built, right? So when uh, a mom has a baby, her amygdala, the fear center of the brain, triples in size, right? And the man's doesn't change at all. So we were built by God to be different than women so that they make sure the child doesn't die, right? As guys, we go, yeah, jump in the river. No big deal. It'll be okay. And the mom goes, no, no. But, you know, so you need a mix of dad who's willing to allow those risks to happen and mom to make sure the kids are okay. And that's kind of the ideal way, you know, for, for kids to grow up. So I don't think this is uh, the fault of women at all. I think a lot of this is men who have abdicated our responsibilities, you know, as dads. Your I think authority. in some ways, authority, yeah, I, I, you know, out of fear of being too masculine. Right. And, and saying, oh, well, society told me that I can't allow my child to go um, jump into that that lake uh, because they might get hurt. So I'm not going to let them do it. Right. But when our natural instinct is let him go try, he's got to learn, you know, but we fight that instinct because we've been told you have to you know, conform to certain standards. Yeah. I mean, I think the reason people or men have uh, not done a good job in that regard is if you're going to take the authority to say, you know, no, honey kiddo needs to learn the hard way and skin his knee or whatever then you also have to be responsible for the outcome so you know a lot of people want to have the authority and not be responsible for the outcome so if you're going to say no wife you know little timmy needs to go do this the hard way and learn and learn the hard way that's what's going to be best for him then you also have to take the responsibility and be involved in when he falls and breaks whatever right um but you gotta be time, rugged enough to clean that knee out and know how to right and and then also yeah, you know yeah also in your relationship to your wife own that responsibility as well of the outcome that just happened too so that it's you don't get to just dictate like a tyrant you you are responsible for everything your family does or fails to do to to bring the military kind of leadership principles into it but i mean that's that's really the where we're at is we live in a culture and uh society where responsibility is gone. It's like all, all personal accountability has just vanished. Um, you know, oh, someone else made me do it, or it's someone else's fault. It's the government's fault. It's like, no, you, you know, you control your life. You can own the, the outcomes. Um, and I, I think that's a huge part of why, you know, men have kind of faded away over the last couple of decades, at least from my point of view. So, Dave, we've talked a lot. I'm sure you're itching to jump in here. <laughs> Oh, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying this. It's nice to fellowship with other men. Um, I mean, and men that, uh, you know, I mean, we're all parents here. Uh, we all have a seat at the table, so to speak. And it's nice to just fellowship with guys on equal ground, but from different lifestyles, different family sizes, backgrounds, different jobs. I mean, it's as men, we need that. We, we need to get away from the kids and, and our wives sometimes just just to be men and to be crass, even if it's going to be public and recorded on a podcast, but just to be guys. No, <laughs> yeah. that's, you know, that's actually a reoccurring message we're hearing on the podcast. Like a lot of our recent guests have been saying the same thing. It's, it's nice to be around other men who are like-minded or have the same you know thought processes and stuff like that. So it's, it's cool to hear you say that again. 
we're all just a bunch of toxic bros just hanging yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> Rosadden over here. <laughs> I can just imagine uh, certain types of individuals seeing this and then having that react that famous reaction of like the person when Trump got elected, like, yeah. You know, just, uh, I just, that, that drives me a little bit harder every day to, to, to be more rugged, right? But, um, I, w- I wanted to circle back to, I lost internet, you know, gotta love technology. Um, when you were talking about the rites of passage, Dave, how you also include other men who, you're talking about your boys, but how you include other men who have played a role in their lives as well. Um, I really love that aspect uh, and intentionality of it because, it's of course, it's very important that they get it from you, their father. Um, but I think we also, especially boys, need it from sources beyond their father uh i think it's really huge and i just recently read tribe by sebastian younger i'm not sure if you've read that one but he he really dives into that concept of belonging and why we as humans are so um you know driven to have that acceptance from a group uh and ironically or maybe not ironically maybe it's just the way it is uh through all these peoples that he's he listed and, and studies and people he interviewed or looked through history, the people that had the strongest relationships and felt the the tightest uh, knit kind of sense of belonging were all people who had gone through severe struggle together. Wars, you know, disasters, um, just crazy things like that. And so it, it's no surprise to me after I read the book and just thinking about where we are today. And he wrote it in 2016. So I, I would really love to hear his thoughts on like, you know, oh, <laughs> now yeah. if he wrote it today, um, but we live in this world where it's everyone's in their own little bubble. You never have anything that's challenging to kind of make, you know, tight knit relationships. And we don't, as a culture anymore, really have any way to, um, you know, kind of come together as a tribe, quote unquote. And so I think your comment too that you just made about fellowship uh, is vastly important. And so let, let's tie a couple things together here. Do something challenging with yep. a group of brothers and you'll all grow together and and support each other on a personal level but you can also uh push each other as dads as professionals whatever right so yeah um, you know i think that that's something that's i don't know how we cultivate that maybe it's you join a sports league or something or you know local guys from church kind of start trying to learn new skills uh, we started a fight club at at a church i used to pastor and okay uh, yeah we would just go out beat the crap out of each other that's amazing. All in fun. And but I thought the first rule is you don't talk about it. Oh, yeah. It's over now, so I can talk about it. So. Okay. But uh, it was just so much fun. We, we would do that. And, um, I mean, we would come together at the end and all sweaty and sometimes bloody and just, you know, drink soft drinks and have a cookout or whatever. And it was just, it was a blast. I mean, it's just man stuff. You're pure toxic man. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I, uh, I just, so when I met my wife, I was uh, more non-denom, but like a Methodist. Um, we we're talking about denominations earlier. I'm now Catholic. Uh, if you're not familiar with, you know, Louisiana, we're more Catholic. Um, so I wanted my son to have the same structure that my wife and I have and, and just have something that, you know, we both are a part of as parents that, you know, we can trickle down to him and my daughter. But that being said, um, I went to an axe retreat. And it was incredible. Um, we can't talk about what happened just because it's this uh, river rules, what they call it. it. Just means don't share what other people share with you. It's their their deepest secrets and things. But and there's a couple was, bodies in the river. 
Yeah, probably. Uh, but you are you know, for deliverance was filmed. They're just the people who made the test. That's all. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. You got a bird in mouth, boy. <laughs> Uh, so anyways you're too good at that uh, so baby get my bat Lucy on his go for a walk no I'm just kidding uh, but all joking aside um, that was probably the one of the best things I've ever I've ever been through just because it was it was um, I think it was up upwards of almost 70 men we all met, had an entire weekend, absolutely no cell phones, no electronics. We had no time. We never knew the time. They took clock balls. Um, we had just uh, a meal song that every time you went to eat, you had to thank God and talk and sing. And it was so embarrassing. I hate singing in front of other people, but they made you in order to eat. So like you, you learn to get out of your comfort zone. And I, th- I think it was really smart with what they did. They were making people get out of their comfort zone early singing and dressing up in stupid skits and stuff and and realizing that it was preparing you to open up and and being outside your comfort zone when it comes to speaking about your demons and we all have them i have mine um but yeah i i think it was incredible because to, to notate to what george was saying um to piggyback off that actually is one of the things that i was we talked about was men are afraid to share um, they're afraid to ask for help and, and I think it's because society has said you have to you have to be this strong, rugged person, but their view of rugged's wrong. They they want you to, you know, swallow your pride, swallow everything and and not be able to talk about it. And it's like, I think a real rugged man, like I said, has been through hell and learned from it and become a good person from it. They're kind, they're they're slow to anger. They're the ones who, you know, think about every situation before they respond and say something. So I think asking for help was one of the biggest things that I learned from that whole retreat. And the point of that story was, I think men do need each other. I think we need a place where in confidence we can say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. And someone that goes there without judgment and just says, yeah, man, I've been through something similar. Or hearing other people's stories, you'd be like, you go up there and you're like, I'm a recovered alcoholic. I've been, you know, I've been through this, this and this. And then you, this other guy's like. I have cancer and I probably have a year to live. My kid's seven, my five, my other kid's five. It's like, you think you have problems. You never know until you hear what someone else is going through. So it's, it's just nice to kind of bond with other men. It's like George said, when you go through war, hell, or hard situations, you really truly do bond with people. And I've, I've made some amazing friends through just that one weekend. Um, so yeah, just something I would share is if you get an opportunity, go on a retreat, man. Go on a retreat with a bunch of dudes you don't know and just enjoy it. <laughs> and sing. And sing the male song for sure. <laughs> Dave, have you ever um in your counseling, have you ever done any of that kind of group work or is it, have you always been kind of one-on-one focused? Um, I, I love small groups. Um, be honest with you, most of the small groups end up being husband and wife stuff, like couples kind of mm-hmm. thing. But uh, it's weird, I guess, because of my military background, I was the guy that uh, other guys would call in the middle of the night. Um, I, like, I don't know, wife leaves him or um, he's drunk and can't go home. I mean, I had a lot of guys that knew me from church or, um, you know, things I got into that they would call me in the middle of the night so they could ask for help, so they could talk. Because they knew I had enough of a counseling background. I wasn't going to judge them. I wasn't going to make fun of them. And they could vent. I was fine with them venting and cussing with me and everything and, and just being able to let that out. The things they can't say in public and should. 
I mean, just things that get trapped in here, but they need to let that stuff out. And so it was an interesting role I was able to serve uh, at that point in my life when I was doing more counseling. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious because of our mutual connection that kind of helped us get introduced. Um, you know, she, she does a lot of that group stuff. I, I went to that place called Onsite. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a really interesting experience if you've never done it. Um, like Justin was saying, you, <laughs> you very quickly realize, yeah, I'll keep my problems. I'm okay with my problems. Um, which is good perspective. I think perspective is a very powerful thing. Um, and it helps you kind of realize, oh, you know, I, I can get through this or whatever. But I was just curious on how, how much you've been involved with that, given your background. And um, Oh, yeah. You know, one thing I always yeah. like to do uh, men's groups like that, where it's just men, is uh, when the thing for when you first meet, like a retreat kind of setting, you first meet. I like to have all the men get the small problems out of the way. All the things that we're going to sit and whine and complain about that don't really mean anything like. Uh, oh, my knees hurt when I get up in the morning, or oh, my back's stiff. You get that crap out of the way because we want to talk about the real problems. You know, like the, uh, you know, I've got cancer, I'm going to die soon, or my wife's about to leave me, or we're going bankrupt. Because um, till you get that small stuff out of the way, people, they use that as an excuse to talk about the small things and not talk about the big things. A hundred percent. And the, the kind of go back to that, like, you know, there was a guy that was coming, that came in, and I can't say this, but um, there was a guy that came into, you know, that situation and was talking about all his problems. And there was another gentleman who wasn't even a part of the retreat. Um, he was there to help. I knew that this gentleman had lost his kid to cancer. And I'm like, dude, you guys think you guys have problems. That's my worst nightmare is burying my kid. I, I don't know how I deal with it. You know, but anyways, that's I'm not going to get into that. But um, I wanted to ask, what is your hardest trial or tribulation and how did being rugged help you overcome it? Or how did your mindset or your training or just or did it help you become rugged? Um, yeah, I guess. Um, it happened to me after I'd already been in the military for a while. So I mean, you had the that foundation of ruggedness, I guess, you know, the post high school. I've done some things kind of ruggedness. But uh, my sister, uh, she had a baby that uh, died after seven days and uh, a lot of uh, in utero issues. And the baby didn't live long. And she asked me to preach the funeral and first funeral I'd ever preached. It's my nephew that I'd, I'd barely known. And I don't mind crying in front of people, except for the fact that I am like a crazy, ugly crier. Like my face gets all weird and my voice, like I make these obscene noises coming out of my mouth when I try to speak. And it's just horrible. <laughs> and I did that most of the way through the funeral. Um, but, and I actually do this as a presentation now talking about uh, him and doing the funeral when I do conferences and I still, I'll cry when I'm doing the presentation and that's what makes it effective. I'm sitting there bawling and I'm all ugly and snot and everything, but people are like, oh, he's being so real. And that's what it takes. Um, as far as being rugged to get through that, it was just this kid. I knew I'm going to see him again in heaven, but he had only been with us for seven days. And I wanted to honor the short time he'd had with us. That was what helped me get through it. And I uh, got through it, not pretty, but got through it in a way that honored his short life well i appreciate sure. your candor also and just being transparent here and being real um i agree just it, it's until people let down their guard <clears throat> that's where real, real real relationship 
happens. Well, I'm having a hard time tonight. Um, when when you kind of get through the cliche, right? Uh, what do you do for work? All that kind of stuff. When you, when you're able to pierce through that and you start building a trust um, between either one or multiple people, that's when you can really start building that real relationship that uh, you know I think a lot of people are lacking today. So um, I wanted to get back a little bit to the rugged thing and. Um, you know, earlier we talked about like a fire plan for two-story houses. What are some tactical things from uh, from your perspective that dads need to consider or prep for? Um, you know, maybe just rattle off a couple and, and maybe some some practical things that you know listeners can take and maybe consider implementing into their own lives. Because uh, you know we're we're real big here on taking charge. You're the dad. It's it's your responsibility. You have the authority to do it. Yeah. So take action. Oh yeah. Um, number one is, uh, I'm big on having a, um, get home bag and a bug out bag. And I'm not talking crazy psycho prep or doomsday kind of stuff. I'm talking just a get home bag is just a bag that's in your car or with you most of the time that will help get you home. Uh, you know, it's got water, it's got some food, it's got a, a basic first aid kit, stuff like that. Um, and to be honest with you, most of the time, what I use my get home bag for is band-aids for the kids. And so right away it's handy. Um, cause you know, with five kids, somebody's bleeding at least once a day. It's usually me. Matter of fact, that big crease on my head, the worst injury in our whole family was me. We were all climbing on some abandoned railroad cars one time that we found while we were hiking. And I guess who busted their grape open. It was, it was me. And so we had to hike out and it was like split all the way across through here. It really interesting. I got some neat pictures I can share with you guys later. If you want. Like to see that. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and is it all the way? You'll appreciate it. Like, all the way to the school or oh yeah uh, and so since we homeschool we get to the er and, and i never lost consciousness or anything it's just kind of interesting from a medical point of view and so the resident is stitching me up and irrigating and everything and my 16 year old's with us and she's like hey you're homeschooled right you want to come over here and see this and so she was That's pointing awesome. out the different layers of the kid and the skull and everything and she's like watch how i tied this stitch when we yeah, so he loved it from a homeschool science perspective. It was pretty uh, a good lesson that I paid for. There you go. So it was worth it. That's great. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was totally worth it. I had to preach the next day too, so I show up in church to preach, and you know, seventeen stitches across the top of my head. Nice, good times. Like Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. So, so uh, we've done yet now to to you know if you're missing your arm now you can put the tourniquet on in the right spot and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they know how to use tourniquets and everything. But my kids, nice. Matter of fact, um, I we do for I do a first aid certification for my kids every year for school, and we've got a um, an EpiPen trainer, and they they are dying to jab an EpiPen in somebody for real. Like they're hoping somebody's going to go down with it. <laughs> Looking forward to that day. Like, can you breathe? Can you breathe? No. Nope. <laughs> yeah. That looks like a hive. We're going to have to stab you. Yeah. Right. Like a hive. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's the get. I was say, that's the, the get home bag. The get home bag. Uh, yeah, the get home you know. bag, bug out bag. Um, right. Situational awareness. Uh, that's one thing I teach my kids. And so that kind of covers house fire. Uh, one of the things I drill into my kids, because we love to go to the movies, uh, we love to go to the mall, the food court to eat, is uh, situational awareness. Like, what are you going to do if something bad happens? And uh, whether it's an active shooter, which unfortunately is – more common than necessary now. I mean, I, we go to a mega church and uh, I even tell my kids like, you know, if something bad happens, what are you going to do? Uh, where are you going to go? What are you going to do to get out of danger? That kind of thing. So bug out bag, situational awareness. The uh, 
the last one, I would just say basic first aid. There are so many dads that freak out at the sight of blood that their kids get hurt and the dad's looking for a mom to come over and, and fix it. And the dad should be the calm in the storm. I mean, let's say something happens, a broken bone or something like that. Even if the dad doesn't know specifically what to do, the dad should still be the calm in the storm. Keeping everybody else from freaking out. Yeah. Totally. Uh, I think we glossed over the bug out bag in terms of what oh. really goes into that. Oh, man, that's one of them. To get home was like the water and basics to, you know, if your car gets yeah. stuck or whatever, you can take care of yourself for a while. What's the bug out bag? All right. So uh, I teach a course on that. It's a really fun course because it's it's like gear intensive and I'm just, I love pulling out all my goodies. And so you got the get home bag, which is it's in the car. It gets you home to the bug out bag is if you got a bug out and most people think, oh, it's got to be zombies or the grid goes down or whatever. No, I mean, if there's a wildfire and you need to leave your house in 30 minutes or something a little more real for this year, if a train derails a few miles away from your house and it's spewing toxic chemicals and you got to leave in 30 minutes, what are you taking with you? And so we've got bug out bags with basically it's a 72 hour bag. I mean, like George, like what you would have carried for a deployment to get you through until, until supply caught up with you. Um, you know, it's, it's food, it's some clothing, uh, some hygiene stuff enough to get you out of danger away from a wildfire or a train derailment to safety to a hotel or something. Lots of boxes of 762. I mean, uh, uh, you know, snacks for the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It all goes in the same bag. I've actually got a bulletproof vest in mine. I, I figure, you know, if it really goes down, I want to be ready. That's good. I, like, you know, I, I think that's something we take for granted too, right? Like, so my, mine probably isn't as good as it should be. So I'm going to, I'm going to take that and think about it a little bit harder. Um, and have it a little bit more accessible. Yeah, I mean, you raise a great point with the train thing, too. I mean, geez, we've had a lot of things happen recently, kind of mainstream, where you probably had to leave your home pretty quick. So it's not it's not necessarily always like, like you said, zombies, or I'd love it for it to be zombies. It'd be crazy. But, uh, you know, it might be something very mundane that makes you have to leave. So yeah, I think Brandon yeah. had something. To... Ago in Atlanta, they had that ice storm, and people stranded right. on the interstate for eight hours. I mean, mm -hmm. if I'm stranded on the for eight hours, I'm going to be the guy that opens up the back of my car and I've got a little stove there and I'm just like roasting marshmallows while people are freezing to death. <laughs> Dustin and I were neighbors and living in Atlanta when that happened. We were playing. Oh, oh man. We were playing in the street. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. It was such a good week. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nice. Brandon, I think you've been waiting to, to ask a question. Sure. Yeah. So you mentioned falling on the train and getting injured. Um, so that would segue great to this question. What is the biggest failure you've ever had in your life? And what did that experience teach you? Oh, um, biggest failure. All right. So I'm going to get real here. Cause I know he'll probably never listen to this. Um, my biggest failure, I would say is my 18 year old. He, um, we raised him first kid. So he, you know, everything's an experiment with that first kid. We raised him the best we could, but we had so much trouble with him to the point where, I actually went to the local sheriff's department because I knew some guys down there and I said, what can I do to this kid that's legal? And basically the sheriff came back and said, Hey man, as long as you give him a place to sleep, that's safe. And he's got food and it doesn't have to be good food. And he's got access to water. That's all you're legally required to give this kid. And so 
I would say for an entire year, um, he he wasn't allowed. He lived in the house because uh, we couldn't kick him out, and uh, he we did not allow him to fellowship with his other siblings. Um, basically, he went to work, came back in, went to his room, and uh, finally he we restored fellowship. And uh, when he turned eighteen, he moved out because he fellowship was restored somewhat, but he just wanted away from the rules, away from his parents. And uh, now he's almost 19 now and uh, has moved in with his girlfriend, not married. And so, you know, I hate to say it, but yeah, my biggest failure has been just how my 18 year old turned out. And what I've learned from that, we're trying hard. Me and my wife are trying hard to see where did, where did we go wrong? What could we have done better? I mean, I know there can always be things that it doesn't matter what we did. Things were going to happen a certain way. But we definitely, if there's anything we can fix and do better with the other kids, we definitely want to do that. Do you mind diving into some of that and thinking, you know, what you've learned and what what you plan to do differently? Yeah, we we allowed him too much freedom in certain areas. Um, we've dialed down a lot of electronic usage in the house, um, especially in the bedrooms. And we looked into some of the research about that as far as electronics in the bedrooms before bed, that kind of thing. We uh, we allowed him too much freedom dating when he was younger. Um, thankfully, my 15-year-old now, he is dating a girl whose parents have more standards, more rules than, than we do. And so it's weird not being the bad guy for your teenager's relationship. But we love the fact that, that we're the easy ones in this, in this situation, at least. And uh, so it helps when the two parents can come together. Um, we let my son date too much without us checking on, uh, you know, the family life where she was, um, what the parents are letting them do when he's over there. And supposedly he's in the living room being supervised, that kind of thing. We got kind of lax, to be honest with you. And uh, we're trying to fix that with the rest of them. I mean, our next child down that's still in the house is 15. And then from there it's 12, 10 and, and six. And so we're, we don't want any more of them that are fleeing the house because they just want to get away from us or that we have to, you know, basically kick out of the house while they're living here. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that's valuable. Yeah. Um, my, my question is on the same topic. You know, I, I think there's a lot of dads out there that have a very similar situation with either uh, an estranged child or one where the relationship's damaged. Um, you know, what what's your advice or message of hope for the, for those dads out there in that situation, or maybe it's a situation like where divorce is involved and that, you know, seeing yeah. kids, things like that. Um, you know, if you've got anything for them out there in terms of, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, what, what do you need to do thing, to, to kind of try and reestablish it as best as you can? Yeah. Uh, the biggest thing for me, I, I forget the exact reference, but the verse in Proverbs about, uh, raise a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Um, Everybody thinks that means you raise your kids up right and they're never going to depart from it. But a lot of friends have pointed out to me that more often than not, kids come back to where they're supposed to be when they have a little life experience and, and realize, you know what, mom and dad were right. Um, but our mutual friend, George, uh, I actually reached out to the group that I'm in with her uh, for advice because they're all parents. And what I'm doing now with the way he's living is we've we've cut off some fellowship with him because I don't want to support the situation he's in. And so we won't let the kids visit him at, at the place where he lives. Um, we'll only visit him so much, like just 
I don't know. It, it's it's weird. But uh, what I'm trying to do, though, is not not just thump on my Bible and preach to him every time. And we're trying to let him know more than anything that we love him. Um, you know, we realize things are strained right now. And we want everything to be back. We want him to to come to the right side of things and realize where he screwed up. And we're going to be here when he does. And we're going to love him no matter what. And and there are some ways I, I try to – what I've been doing is I've been writing him letters instead of talking to him. Because I know if I call him um, – you know, and he lives five hours away at the beach. And if I, if I drove down there in the middle of the night to have a good talk with him, he would tune me out. If I call him up, he's going to hang up on me, especially if I start preaching. And so I write him letters because my dad did that when I was younger. Uh, when I went in the military, he would write me these long letters, and I still have them. And I pray that uh, when I write these letters to my son that are filled with Scripture and filled with love, that even if he doesn't pay that much attention to it now or it doesn't click for him, that one of these days maybe God's going to lead him back to that letter and he's going to read that, and maybe that will help bring us back together again. That's good. I like that. Um, it's very practical, <clears throat> but it's meaningful. And it, what you mentioned too about kind of holding your standards um, is very in line with, uh, we covered a book uh, by Dr. Meg Meeker. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work. Um, but that's a huge theme of hers is, hey, you're the dad. You've got to hold those lines. Um, and it's probably going to hurt potentially for decades, right? Uh, yeah. In estranged relationships. But you know, you, you've got to, because if you don't, no one else will. Um, so the, the, the book that that really goes into detail for both, if you have a son or a daughter is she, it's called hero that she wrote. Um, that one was really eye opening for me. Um, so I'm, I'm thankfully not at any point like that right now that you've described, but I feel at least a little bit more equipped that if I am at a point where, you know, my daughter's rebelling or something like that, um, you can't just completely fold and give in to all their demands because then you're essentially telling them that this behavior is okay. And you know, then they're going to do that in every relationship moving forward. Yeah. It starts a cycle. Um, so as scary it gets as really is, hard you know, though is when, uh, when other family supports them, that's yeah. And there's actually some fresh stuff that's going on the past couple of days and I'm fixing to have it out with some of the family, uh, supporting his lifestyle. And, uh, right. I'm, yeah, I'm fairly conflict avoidant too because I I'll bottle it up until I go nuclear and grab the axe off the shelf and just ready to go fight something you know but it's I try not to do that any more than I have to yeah it and that that gets messy too when it's either extended family or other friends and acquaintances um, my two senses I think you you know we all if that's the situation have to have that courage to go address it um and at the end of the day you know my, my stance on this kind of thing is i don't care if jimmy or bobby or whoever thinks i'm a jerk or you know an overbearing dad or whatever it's like i have one daughter i only get one chance at this um you know if, if i frustrate some other people because i'm not willing to play ball with their standards well i have my standards that my family follows um i'm not going to bend on those things because they have lifelong consequences so um I don't know if you agree with that. I'd be interested to see if oh, you yeah. have a separate thought. But Yeah, I mean, I've, one of my weaknesses, uh, not a fatal flaw because I usually try to stop it, but one of my weaknesses is wanting everybody to like me. And we all have that to an extent. But 
I, I'm finally getting to the point where I'm getting a thicker skin. And so I, I don't give a crap what you think. If if you don't agree with me, I'm still the dad. That's my job from God to run this family the way I feel God's called me to. And I'd rather I'd rather make you mad than God. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> in the long run, that's that's the more important one to have yeah. <laughs> in alignment. Brandon, I think you had a question. Yeah. Um, what are uh, three books you would recommend to our audience that would help them with fatherhood and becoming rugged? Oh, fatherhood and becoming rugged. Um, oh, yeah. So Wild at Heart uh, by John Eldridge. Um, never met John, but I've watched a lot of videos, read a book a couple times, and I make my kids read it before the rite of passage. Um, greatest book I've ever read on Christian manliness. Um, let's see, The Barbarian Way by Erwin McManus. Uh, he's a pastor out in California. Which, even though he's from California, he's still pretty cool. And uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good book. And uh, let's see, this one, right, so two Christian books. This one, my favorite movie ever, but the book is amazing. But I would not recommend it unless you have a strong Christian background. You know, the kind of background where you can read something that's non-Christian and know that you don't have to accept all of it. But uh, Fight Club, uh, the fiction book Fight Club. Uh, some amazing stuff in there on um, how people perceive manliness and manhood. But uh, like I say, that's not even a movie or a book I've let my kids uh, see unless they've watched it without me knowing. And um, <laughs> let's see, a guy named Jack Donovan. I've got, um, man, I've got his book on my shelf over here somewhere. But uh, he wrote a book about manliness, and it's kind of in the same vein as Fight Club. Uh, this guy's a, a pagan heathen. I mean, and when I say that he, he like worships Thor uh, kind of a guy. And so, but his thoughts on manliness, <laughs> you know, Dustin's got the hammer. I probably got a hammer around here somewhere, but uh, this guy's thoughts on manliness. If you could take Jack Donovan's words, you could apply a lot of it to scripture. I mean, you could find scripture to back it up. It's just that I, sometimes I think when I read his stuff, if this guy would get saved, he would be on fire. I mean, he'd be an amazing preacher because he just has a way of drawing people in. It's pretty cool. What is, what's the book? Sorry, you, you mentioned him. Um, yeah, I'm all. Oh, you didn't remember? Got gotcha. you. Yeah, I'm sure you can figure it out. Well, that's that's a great point too, though. Um, especially for you know Christians who may be listening, is just because you're Christian doesn't mean you can't go to any other source. Um, you know, you have to filter out what doesn't apply. But there's there's lots of great guidance and and know-how and and uh you know don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right that, yeah that i mean i know a lot so. of christians that are you know closet watching game of thrones but they won't read a book by a non-christian <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so I, i'm with you i, I mean I, I read all kinds of stuff uh you know broad range of topics and you know you you definitely learn a lot and can think about things and you know and then kind of filter it through your lens of your belief system and apply it appropriately you don't have to take everything that's said uh you know and, and do it like you're following the rules or something so i uh, appreciate those recommendations um what about i i've never heard of the barbarian way i'm really interested in that one what about that one really stuck out for you and why it, why is it so important it's almost like uh wild at heart it actually got wild at heart kind of deep um, I mean, it went pretty heavy. Uh, the Barbarian Way is uh, its a much shorter, it's a much lighter book, uh, more pithy than Wild at Heart. Um, Eldridge, is, uh, his, his words are a lot more flowy. 
Whereas Erwin McManus is just like a straightforward, here's my five sermon points and, you know, here's the scripture to back it up and uh, now go home. Right. <laughs> nice. Just straight to it. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're mentioned a fight club, man. Two things came to mind. The scene where he's reading the little kid's book and uh, Tyler Durden like flips the bike over. He's like, I am Jack's liver. I get cancer. I kill Jack. And then I thought about, I don't know why I wanted to stop and stop you guys and just be like, his name was Robert Paulson. And just, <laughs> just, end, just end, end the whole episode right there on that. Oh my gosh. Meatloaf. Yeah. <laughs> this is Bob. Bob, we're not going to finish Flores, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I used to read a lot of books um, before I, you know, read. I've read a lot of fiction, or not, excuse me, fiction, but fantasy. Um, yeah. And one of my favorite theories by a gentleman named Ari Salvatore, he wrote, uh, well, so the the primary character has uh, about 20 books, uh, but the branching, like, companions and different villains and people you follow is about 33, and I've read them all, and they're incredible, but it's the Land of Drist. I don't know um, if you've ever seen that, but incredible. I've, I've never read any of his books. Big fantasy fan, but I've never read any of his stuff. Um, well, they they uh, they take They're you really good. what you don't expect because Drist goes from a society that's just like hateful and evil, um, and it's it's actually run by women. I, I'm not going to go further into that, but um, it's it's wild. So is the Amazon Lord of the Rings show too. <laughs> Sorry, no, Lord, it's not, not Lord, Lord of the Rings. Rings. It's the Rings of Power. It's Amazon's Rings of Power. There is no Lord of the Rings in that. I'm just <laughs> right now. I call it the. Uh, That's the a red line for me. Yeah. Oh, don't even get me started on the Witcher. Uh, God, I'm gonna get. Oh. All right, sorry, I threw, I threw you off topic, Justin. Yeah. So, anyways, um, Drist goes through this like arc where he thinks he's always right, just until he starts. Uh, he starts a war with another. Um, type of being i won't so i won't ruin it but um this other being is very intellectual and very deep thinking like he is he's a man and it's funny because he challenges the way Driss thinks and uh it's just cool it's, it's i think a lot of kids need to get into fantasy too because it, it pulls you from the real world and you can still learn real world things in a fun way if that makes sense yeah so that would just be my my two cents on books i would suggest all right, uh, Dave, any closing thoughts or things that you uh, wanted to leave us with that we didn't cover? Oh, man, how to close this out. We've talked about so much. Um, I, I'm going to go, uh, let's see, always rise up to challenges. Um, and by that, I mean find something small you can do every day that makes you wonder if you should do it. Um, you know, like go out and, and find that owner's manual and figure out where the jack is in your car so that you know how to change a flat tire or, uh, you know, next time somebody's bleeding, even if you don't know what to do, just jump in there and start helping, you know, just something challenging every day. I like it. All right, guys, any, any final thoughts or questions for Dave? Yeah, I found okay. this very inspiring. There's so many holes in my knowledge as a dad that I need to get plugged ASAP. I don't have a bug out bag. I don't have a get out bag. I don't have a fire plan. I have so much fun. And my, my son is at this age where he's going to love all of this. I'm going to go, guess what? Zombies are coming. We got to get out of here. He's going to go, zombies. It's going to be like such a great day. So thank you. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. I, love I want to see pictures of him jumping off the roof. 
<laughs> yeah, sorry. yeah, exactly. I'll get a, a bed set up. It'll jump. <laughs> you can wait till this Fourth of July when I come visit, and uh, our wives can be in the background freaking out. Oh, you can be. I'm gonna hate it. <laughs> As I say, when I come visit, we'll do a little bit of a a man uh, workshop. Dustin, we'll we'll rough you up a little bit, get you out of the get you out of the OR and into the the big outdoors. Love it. <laughs> Actually, that that is um, something I wanted to recommend just for the listeners too. Um, but it was a bunch of my lieutenant buddies when I was still a lieutenant. Uh, one of the guys just didn't know a lot of this kind of stuff, and so they were like, "All right, that's it. We're gonna have like a, a man day," and they they just like took him against his will and they're like, "You're gonna learn how to change this tire, and you're gonna learn how to do this," and they just like put him through his paces. But afterwards, he was like, "Man, I'm so glad you guys did that for me because." Um, they just like needed to know it, you know, but so that's something you can do too is work out with your friends. Like who's good at something, um, make, make a little workshop plan for each other. Hey, you know, I'll lead this one. It'll be like physical fitness. And then, you know, Dustin, you lead this one and it'll be, you know, whatever, pick a, pick a subject, but you can kind of make each of your friends kind of a, a captain of a topic and have them set up a class for each other. That's a good way to kind of build a relationship because guys like to have something to do to to hang out uh not just hang out but um yeah so uh, before we closed i wanted to uh show your or talk about where people can find you dave um so Um, which is the best landing platform your your website or is it elsewhere um i'll tell you what instead of my lead magnet page i'm going to send you to uh, checkforapulse.com um that'll take you to uh, my main website where you can find the courses and books and everything yeah, checkforapulse.com. Okay. All right. And from there, it's got links to like all your socials and all that kind of stuff. And Yeah. Yeah. And okay. the bug out back. Perfect. Yep. And uh, Dustin. This could be great. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I'm excited. Dustin's way excited for this. I love it. When you work with guys, is it remote like this or does it need to be someone that lives near you? For, uh, uh, you know, no, it's, uh, to be honest with you, I love to travel. And since we homeschool, I'll, I'll bring a kid or two with me. I love just going to meet people. And uh, I nice. find that it's better to train people where they live. And uh, that way it makes a lot more sense for them. Okay. Yeah. Well, so if you've listened to this and you think Dave could could help you out a little bit, look him up and maybe consider <laughs> hiring him as your, your man coach. <laughs> all right, Dave, uh, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate all of your insight. And uh, it's been a great one. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you in the next one. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Present Fathers Podcast. Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Spotify to catch all of our amazing episodes. We will see you in the next one.